Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1652, and we have our guest part two today talking about the year in review. And this is important stuff because those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I have bad news for you. Even though we're going to learn from history today, we're still going to repeat it. But the good news is... <laughs> The good news is, folks, that U.S. household incomes increased more in 2018 than in the previous 20 years combined. Did you hear that? I said combined. Yes. Why did U.S. household income suddenly explode in 2018 after decades of tepid growth? The answer is not difficult to find. Now... Here's a tweet from AOC. Yes, that brilliant AOC who could not be more clueless about business, economics, or anything other than Marxism. <laughs> so uh, it, uh, she says, Dow soars, but wages don't. Inequality in a nutshell. Hey, AOC, I'd love to be critical, but you're actually right about that. Okay, so AOC actually was right about one thing amazing as it is. And why? Why is that income inequality increasing? Well, you know what I'm going to say, don't you, regular listeners? Richard Cantillion, my second favorite economist, the Cantillion effect. And you, dear listeners, at least most of you who are following my plan and have been listening to this show, you get to take advantage of the Cantillion effect because you, by following this plan that I've outlined, buying good quality income properties in linear markets, maybe a little bit hybridish even, heading over, you know, closer to the dark side, but still okay, and financing them with three decade long fixed rate debt at artificially and historically low interest rates are becoming a Cantillionaire. Why? Because that puts you close to the money. You don't have to work on Wall Street. You don't have to be a bankster. You're a cantillionaire just because of the way you have structured your investments, the way you have structured your finances by being a good income property investor. So Bureau of Labor Statistics, this basically, I'm looking at a graph. I'm looking at a tweet actually from the evil Jack Dorsey's company. Yes, Jack Dorsey. Anti-liberty Jack Dorsey, you know, who looks like Charles Manson with his beard and all. You know, he's not going to win any awards for 
looking good as he ages, is he? No, he's not. <laughs> he's definitely not. I'm right about that. Okay. So from 2002 to 2015, adjusted for inflation, wages did not budge. No growth. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. No growth. Okay. But in 2018, they surged more than at any other time by far in two decades. Wow. That's an economic miracle. And if, you, if you're if you an Austrian economics fan, you look at the business cycle and you think, well, in 2016, when a new administration came in, we were long in the tooth in the growth cycle and we should have had a recession, but we didn't the economic growth went on until COVID-1984, and then it suddenly started growing again, right? After a brief respite there. And it looks like this year we're going to have pretty darn good growth. So all of those naysayers who say we are in a bubble, I don't disagree that we are in the everything bubble. I just want you to know that for the record, okay? But we don't know how big the bubble can keep blowing up. And there are, uh, you know, I did a fantastic interview today that I will probably air next week with Stephen Lieb, Dr. Stephen Lieb, who has written, I think, nine books now, two great books on uh, China and what to expect out of China. He's a commodities bull. We talked all about construction materials and how the builders are facing such shortages and paying huge premiums. And you know what? Look, for 18 years, I've been teaching you about packaged commodities investing, assembled commodities investing. And as such, that's what we're talking about now, because these building materials have just become so expensive. Look, every economist will tell you about one indicator, one commodity that is sort of a special commodity. Well, what is that special commodity? It's also referred to as a color. No, I don't want to hear any racist stuff because it's nothing like that. It is, and it's also referred to by a title, like a, um, what would I want to say? A college degree, yeah, a college degree title, I guess. Yeah, a degree title. And it is a doctor. What is this commodity? The doctor and the color? It's Dr. Copper. Okay, copper is this sort of benchmark commodity that economists look at. And Dr. Copper is doing pretty well. And guess what is powering your devices in your home? Copper, copper wire. That's what's in your walls, okay? So that is very significant. Now, look at this. Real dollars, real dollars, median income, median household income by year. Okay, so adjusted for inflation. Now we know that inflation adjustments are subject to argument for sure because they manipulate the CPI. It's kind of arcane. Uh, well, not kind of, but a lot. And weighting, substitution, and hedonic indexing. And I've taught you all about that before. But suffice it to say, real median household income by year. You ready for the numbers, folks? Here they are. 
If you are somewhere where you can write them down, you know, take notes, take notes, take notes. We'll test you later. Okay, here you go. 1999, $62,600. 2016, this is depressing. Wow, this is really depressing. Depressing, depressing, depressing. It's depressing. 2016, so here we go, 17 years. Real dollar median household income is only $62,898. <sighs> I mean, that is just disgusting. That is so depressing, I can't even tell you. 2019, we went up significantly. $68,700. Wow, that is a giant increase. I mean, over $6,000 in three years in real dollar adjusted for inflation income growth. A very nice raise. What I'm looking at? American workers finally got a raise, and a nice one at that. After a decade and a half of flat wages, amazing what tax cuts can do. Yes, tax cuts make the economy boom, but it is very uneven, as we know. And technology and the winner-take-all society and uh, regulation that protects big established industries and billionaires and oligarchs, tech oligarchs, it's absolutely pathetic and disgusting. But you know, there are some good signs in it, no, no question about it. And I won't even bother to mention who was president during this time when real household income soared because, well, then some of those really prejudiced people will have a fit because they'll say, oh, you can't discuss the Donald, he's evil. All right, well, <laughs> guess what else? Do we have time for this? Do we have time for this next thing before we get to our guest today? Yeah, we might as well. Look, as real estate investors, I talk to you a lot about math, especially ratios. I say that ratios are the most important thing. They really are the most important thing. Yes, it's the ratio. When you consider any statistic, what is the question you have to ask compared to what? So when you consider income or GDP or population or immigration or the number of arrests or the crime statistics or, you know, police brutality or anything, you need to always consider that on a per capita basis because the per capita gives you the answer to the Jason Hartman question, which is compared to what? So that gives you the answer. And you always have to think in ratios. That's why I talk about the RV ratio, the rent to value ratio, noting that it is not called the rent to what I paid for the property in 1999 ratio. It's called the rent to value ratio, the value today. That's what is important, but not in Oregon. Yes, the Oregon Department of Education is asking students to, in single quotes, show their work, end of single quote, meaning snarky, 
right? In math class, as a form of white supremacy. Yes, the concept of mathematics is now, I guess, being considered um, subjectively. No, math is no longer an objective scientific thing. It's, yeah, it's racist. So there you go, folks. <laughs> you, you know, you just can't make this stuff up. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, I guess I'll say it this way. You know, most people would say one plus one equals two, but even I will be a little optimistic about it. In the information age, in the age when it's amazing time, an amazing time to be alive as I, I don't say as much as I used to because I'm having my doubts, frankly, but in some ways it is an amazing time to be alive for sure. But here it is. Here is my fuzzy math. You ready for it? One plus one doesn't always equal two. In the age of scalability and amazing technology, one plus one could equal 11. Do you get it? It's two ones next to each other. It's not two, it's 11, right? So there you go. But that's not what they're talking about with these idiots in Oregon, right? No, they, uh, they came up with an 82-page instructional guide that lists all the ways in which white supremacy is perpetuated in math class. Wow. And this guide is called A Pathway to Equitable Math Instruction. Hmm. I'd love to hear your comments about this. Go to jasonarman.com slash ask and tell me why you think the Oregon Department of Education has it right or has it wrong. Yes. Last thing I'll say on this. So the it says that this culture of supremacy infiltrates math classrooms in everyday teacher actions. That's what the guide reads. Coupled with the beliefs that underlie these actions, they perpetuated harm to, and they list, you know, a bunch of various supposedly oppressed uh, groups, right? Aye, aye, aye. I guess, yeah. And, and it says, <laughs> oh my gosh, look, look at this one. It says, the guide offers a year-long framework for deconstructing racism in mathematics. It, call, it calls uh, for verbalizing the toxic characteristics with respect to math. Now, I don't know about you, but I think math is pretty much kind of just an objective scientific thing. But, you know, science is no longer science. I mean, look at all the crazy stuff we hear out there about this, that, and the other thing. I mean, in the middle of this whole cerveza sickness that is perpetuating the world, and, you know, the, the absolute denial of alternative options and things like this, the absolute denial of science, that there's crazy rules that don't even make any sense sometimes. I mean, some of them do make sense, to be fair, right, on balance, but a lot of them just don't make any sense. So science is no longer science. Science is politics. That's what science is today. So they ought to call it, um, 
well, poli-sci is a major you can take in college, right? So we could call it poli-science, but maybe we ought to call this one the different way. We ought to call it scientics. Hmm. Ashley, what's a good name for this? Scientics? Uh, I don't know. Give me a name for this. Fake news. Oh, hey, hey, she got it right. She says fake news. There you go. I love it. That was good. With that one, we'll leave it at that. Okay. So, hey, folks, we have got check in with your investment counselors for a bunch of different web classes we have nowadays and, and some just really good stuff uh, going on, some good free resources out there for you. And uh, of course, an update on properties and different opportunities to invest that we have for you as well. So check in with your investment counselors, go to jasonhartman.com or in the US, call us at 1-800-HARTMAN. And let's get to our guest and let's hear the rest of this year in review. And after this episode, I don't think you could accuse us of looking at the world with rose colored glasses. No, you can't. But the one piece of good news we definitely have is that housing is booming and it looks like it will continue to boom for a good year, if not longer. So um, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and then wait. That has always been very good advice. All right, here we go back to our guest from Cornell University in the thick of the politically correct world uh, at Cornell University. Dr. David Collum. Here he is. They target me better, so I end up with a better, more appropriate car than I would have gotten, maybe. But but it's just, it's, it's they're gigantic advertising budgets. There are attacks on the system. I don't need them scraping data to try to tell me what to buy, because I, I know what to buy. I know what I need. Okay, so lest we complain too much, <laughs> and I know we got off on this track, but you know what? What do you think is going to happen? I mean, what are your thoughts about inflation? Uh, you know, first of all, I, I we both agree it's already here, but how much worse is it going to be? Well, so if you read some of the ancient archives, it talks about the idea of inflating away debt, which appears to be the subplot that that they're doing. Now, here's the problem. The way you create inflation is through creating more debt. And so if you if you, you ask, where did all this inflation come from? You say, well, we created huge amounts of additional debt. So we're not inflating away anything. We're creating the debt phenomenon. And so I, I think the, the whole idea of inflating away debt might be a, a fiction. Tell us about that, because, you know, one of the strategies that I love using in uh, with real estate investing is that you get these cheap 30 year fixed rate mortgages. You let the tenant pay the mortgage for you. And then inflation pays the debt off as well, which is a, a wonderful strategy. It seems to be what the U.S. is trying to do to China. But is why do you say what do you mean when you're you're saying well, that's a okay, fiction? So on the receiving end of your mortgage, right, on the receiving end of real estate, is some other person's not getting adequately compensated. Right, yeah, it, 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 it transfers wealth from the lender to the borrower. And, and that's right, but now, if, so if I'm a, a, a boomer with a 60-40 portfolio or whatever, my 40 is returning nothing. And that returning of nothing is, is so that people who, who at one point in history had something of value, we call it capital, and I needed something. I needed capital or they, someone else needed capital. So you need the capital for your building. 
I have capital. I lend it to you. You hope to turn the capital into some sort of wealth craze. You build new buildings, you build apartment complexes, and then you rent them, right? That's 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 wealth creation. I am compensated for giving you access to my capital. The Federal Reserve, by, by blanketing the earth in free money, they've essentially rendered capital worthless. And so why would you ever borrow from me at, let's say, a fair, fair rate? If inflation is 10%, I'd be charging you 12, right? So let's say inflation is 10%. I'd charge you double. Let's say we're both nuts and inflation is really two. I'd be charging you five. I can't get 5% for my money. Right. And so they're taking my money. They're, they've somehow rigged the system such that the lenders uh, get nothing, which means, therefore, pension funds are getting nothing. Pensioners are getting nothing. And they're, they're, they're going to send us sailing up a cliff because this has a bad ending. Oh, for for the pensions, it has a very bad ending. And and when do we start to see that? Is that five years away, 10 years away? How far in the future is that? Because these pension plans, they can't get any return on their money without taking inordinate risk. And same with any kind of like endowment or just anything. Well, I I don't know. It's going to be one of these things where when it happens, it happens. I, I, I don't know when. Uh, it feels like we're really near the end. The GameStop euphoria and all that stuff, and Bitcoin, all these things that are happening in investing are investors reaching for yield. And yep. they're, 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 they're going away from lending money to major corporations and the mortgage-backed security markets and things like that and going to things where they can actually get a return. This is a massive reach for yield. And and it'll end badly. Uh, there's a maximum that says more people died at the that, that reaching for a yield than at the point of a gun. And so if you are, if you are the junk bond market now, junk corporate junk bonds return something like 5%. That's not, that's not a good deal. Though when those things are defaulting, which by the way, they are going to start defaulting because of all the, the commercial real estate that's going to go to hell because of the COVID, you know, shutdown. And at some point, it, the whole edifice just topples. And you say, well, the Fed's going to save us. Well, don't be surprised if the Fed says, no, we'll clean up the mess. And so they'll step back and let the whole thing go and then say, okay, bring in the cleanup crew. Meanwhile, a lot of people are going to get hurt. So I saw, I see surveys of what people are expecting. The average investor, Joe Sixpack investor, thinks they're going to get 15%. We're at top 1% valuations in equities. They think we're going to get 15%. We can't even get a positive return on bonds. They think they're going to get 15%. A fidelity in the various pension funds are assuming seven and a half percent. They're not going to get seven and a half percent either. If you listen to the smart guys, they're saying, you know, next 10 years, maybe annualized negative five percent. So the system at some point is just going to snap. And the Fed, instead of letting controlled burns clear out the fuel and, 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 and sober people up, we have a situation where the Fed has convinced everyone that there's no risk now. And that you have your seatbelt and you can't be hurt. You've got airbags and the Fed's there and, and you can't be hurt. Stability breeds instability. That's an old maxim too. Well, the Fed has tried to create the air of stability. And, and then when we have this mess, who's going to go hang the Fed from the nearest tree? They're going to say, oh, we didn't see it coming. Greenspan said, oh, we had an error in our model. Yeah, the error in your model was between your ears, you moron. Um, <laughs> and and, and they, they don't have a model. They're just winging it. So I think... The question is, is Powell, do, do Powell and the gang know? Are they terrified? 
Or are they arrogant? They think they can somehow pull this off. Are they King Canute? Which, by the way, the Canute story is vague as to what actually he said. And I can't, I ask the smartest guys, you know, some bright guys, and, and they don't know. They think it's sort of a combination of arrogance and ignorance, and but they somehow think they can pull this off, and I don't. I, I don't think it's even theoretically possible to have a soft landing. I just don't know when we're, we're going to have enough fuel in the tank in this flight to make it to the crash site. To make it through the crash zone. To the crash um, site. To the crash site. Oh, to the crash site. Okay. Get to the crash site. Yeah. And this this disaster that you're talking about is an inflationary. Oh, crash, I don't know. Right? I don't know that. I don't know that. I, I used mm-hmm. to be all inflation. I really believe Bernanke or these guys when they said, you know, a determined central banker can create inflation. I'm not positive they can now. Now, if they really, really, really are desperate, and they say, we are just going to send the printing presses worrying until we get inflation, then they can get inflation. But they're going to have to do it in the face of horrific data saying they're making a mistake. You know, in Weimar, Germany, when they ended up, you know, with, you know, thousands of percent inflation, they just, they went from, you know, one Deutschmark becoming worth the equivalent of four trillion Deutschmarks later. I, I, it's this ridiculous thing. They were so proud of their ability to print Deutschmarks in the volume. They thought it was good. The, the system's demanding more money because it was inflationary. And they thought, well, then we should provide more money. And so, so and this wasn't antiquity. This was, this was the 20th century. They did not understand that the printing of the money was creating the inflation. How they could not know this, I don't know, but they didn't. They were proud of their ability to print money. It was like a stat. Oh, we can print X Deutschmarks a day. And that's what Bernanke and, and, and well, well, Ger- Germans are just proud that they're being efficient, even if they're efficiently wrong, right? <laughs> but I think the Germans are probably going to be one of the early Western countries to recognize we're on the wrong path because they've been hurt by it too much. And so I think we're likely to be one of the last ones to recognize. By the way, during this crisis, there's great stats out there. The United States took on huge debt. China did not add any leverage. China got through this crisis without adding leverage. So guess who won that battle? Yeah, that's interesting. But China overall, I mean, I, I I worry about China in the short term. I don't worry about them in the long term because they got a big demographic problem headed their way. So you you push out ten to fifteen years, and I think China is not a contender in terms of taking the number one spot from the U.S. Maybe before that they would, but then then it'll regress. No, but they could. They could be part of a cannibalization of us, mm-hmm. right? So this could be one of these things where it's like Walmart and, and Lowe's battling each other and, and there's no, no one left on the battlefield to clean up the mess. And so China- You, you probably meant to say Home Depot, I'm guessing. Home Depot, Lowe's, yeah. yeah I, right. I don't care, but- yeah. uh, Walmart and Amazon, <laughs> Home Depot and Lowe's, yeah. But, but, I, but it's quite possible that they will be part of our demise without actually themselves winning either. I have no trouble with that. I, Mm-hmm. We're just putting on too much debt. And history shows no one ever puts a. There's only one example of a country that got way, way, way out of uh, out of whack and picked up this much debt and grew their way out. And that was Britain in the 19th century. They clawed their way out, but they were an empire, and they were mm-hmm. not yet a finished empire. And yep. so, 
I don't see the wealth creation in this country that will, will pull us out of this deficit. It, it, it's interesting, though, because it's um, it's so uneven, right? There is a massive wealth concentration, and you know, like I said earlier, watch old TV shows, watch old movies, and it's it's so interesting, like to watch, say, Columbo, for example, uh, which I, I think Columbo was a brilliant detective, and uh, and and he always had his his funny mannerisms and things, but you know, you watch. Columbo or Heart to Heart or any old show and say Columbo is investigating like a wealthy person, right? In a, in a crime. And he goes to their house and that house is nothing compared to what you see wealthy people having today. And the kind of wealth nowadays is just like massive oligarchical wealth. It's absolutely staggering. These, you know, tech billionaires and, you know, we're going to see trillionaires in the not too distant future. I think there's a brilliant book. Um, a coming apart, I think it's called. By oh yeah, Murray. yeah, Charles. Um, I, Charles I read Murray. that. Yeah, Thank Charles you. Murray. Yeah, he's he was one of the co-authors of the Bell Curve, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And so he became very contentious. But coming apart is this brilliant expose about how he talks about what's changed over the last, say, seventy years. Yep. And he points out that when the Greatest Generation was in charge, there was not the visual difference in wealth so that it was not status to have a huge house. My dad was really pretty wealthy and we had a probably a 2000 square foot house. He ran a construction company with 350 people employed, right? Nowadays he'd be living in a, in some damn 6,000 square foot mansion. He lived in a 2000 square foot house, just sort of typical post-war kind of house. And, and standards to get into schools were not so stratified. There were all sorts of changes that have occurred and, and this growth in wealth status and class status. And that, and that could argue why we're in such a mess now, because now that now we have a culture war going on. Yeah, well, that's a, a good area to kind of switch gears to is the culture war. Right. And I, I know we've got to wrap it up, but the, the censorship, the gloves are off with what everything that happened in the election. Nobody will deny anymore that there is massive bias, massive censorship, and the world is being run by the corporatocracy and the tech companies and the corporatized media. And it's absolutely disgusting. Can that pendulum ever swing back? You know, feel free to talk. You know, I mean, what what happened to Trump? I I thought was just absolutely insane uh, the way they vilified him. Even worse than vilifying Trump is vilifying Trump voters. Right. So, good, so good distinction. I, I am staggered by the number of people who are using a language that sure as hell sounds like 1930s Germany. And they're talking about deprogramming us. They're talking, one of the prominent journalists made reference to cleansing the world of Trump supporters. I'm oh, like, yeah. really going to use yeah. the word cleanse? Well, and, and another one made reference to drone strikes against right. Trump supporters. <laughs> and and I, the, so these, this is not just sore winners, right? These are not people who are not winning gracefully. They won the election. They're saying things now. They're talking about things like, uh, "Oh, here's when Jewish privilege." Now they're talking out there because because the wealthy are are also highly popular with the Jews. If I were a Jew, I'd be going scary crap. Yeah. This I've been down this path before. I've seen how this one ends, and they're doing this in the white privilege and the the the, the whole narrative is so caustic, and it's 
it's not coming from the right. It's coming from the left. And, and what's interesting about that is the two groups you mentioned, Jews and whites, many of them seem like willing victims in their own demise. I mean, there's not you know, a lot of pushback. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we can't you can't even post an article on Twitter or on Facebook without without risking getting kicked off the, 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 the site. Um, I got kicked off Twitter for a week because I criticized Fauci in an admittedly off-color way. But uh, but the, the the narratives are getting squashed like bugs. Um, I just tried to search something. I showed my brother a video, and then he said, oh, it's been deleted already. I'm looking for it. And all you find are, are counterattacks against the narrative that, 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 uh, that it made. So I, I think we're in a horrible, horrible situation. And I don't know if this is darkest before the dawn and this will pass or if this is really the rise of authoritarianism. What I can tell you is there's nothing in the data that suggests this is different than previous murderous authoritarian regimes. There's nothing in the data that says this is why this is just a fad or this is why this is a passing thought. We are following the, the script perfectly to an authoritarian state. And that is very scary. You know, David, over 20 years ago, I talked about how I, I didn't, I, I said, if I get to live my whole natural life, which I hope I do, <laughs> um, I will see states secede from the union. Can the country stay together like this? Is there any, you know, Joe Biden and his, his bullshit unity thing, but uh, I mean, is there any coming together after all of this? I don't know, I, I, but I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure what secession achieves. So in, in uh, and, and I'm also not sure what it would even look like. Like well, every, right. so in the Civil yeah. War, you had the state. You know, you had the slave versus free states, and so yeah. there there was a natural dotted line wherever they they wanted to draw it. Right um, now, you, I don't, you don't have that now. So I, I've been talking with people about bug out plans. What's a bug out plan? Well, a friend of mine, Grant Williams, said he was sitting at a table with a bunch of hedge fund managers and every single one of them had a bug out plan. Yeah. And he's the interest rate guy. So Grant Williams. He said that the bug out plan is where when things get bad, you make a phone call, which kicks everything into gear. You drive to the airport, you get on your jet and fly and you go. For Joe Sixpack, that's not a viable plan. But I have had a lot of discussions with people about what a, a more conservative bug out plan would be. And one of them would be to say, where in the country, as a conservative, as a person um, who, who would be potentially targeted, where could they live where they would not be accessible? And, and, and the two criteria, one would be population density low, right? So, you know, the Dakotas, Maine, you name it, and places where you might see, you know, Trump supporters and places like that. So if I moved to some small hamlet in, in Maine, I'd probably not get squashed like a bug. But but if I'm in New York City, I, I, I'm at great risk. And so I got a, a, an email from a guy who's a distressed asset investor who's anonymous on Twitter, but he's a prominent guy. And he said for the first time in his life, he feels unsafe because of his political views. Yep. And uh, that is that is a realistic statement, sadly. Yeah. And I don't know why I, I it feels like it's a left wing thing, but but it's also possible I'm blind to the rights con- contribution here. I just don't know why. 
Yeah, and um, and what's interesting about it is you have the rich, the ultra rich oligarchical left, and then you have the uh, the people burning down Seattle and Portland and Philadelphia and Chicago and New York, and you know virtually every other major city, Minneapolis. Don't forget that one, Kenosha as well. I, I mean, how do these groups get together? Why are they friends? Uh, I think that I think the <laughs> latter on somebody's payroll. So I think the Antifa model is actually paid uh, sort of brown shirt equivalents. And so I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced the the sort of super rich left wing enemy model is quite right. I I actually think there's that we're not being sort of steered by Silicon Valley because there are a bunch of rich left wing guys who have these views. I I think it's deeper and darker than that. And I, I, I think this is about, some globalist view and what they're trying to achieve. And I've talked to people about what that could be, right? You've heard about the great reset. Does anyone have a clue what that really means? Right. But uh, one of the theories is, is that people in positions of power have a, a global overview and they say, look, we are running out of resources and, and we have to somehow dial back everyone's, expectations and this is how we're going to do it right so this is a big sort of grand conspiracy theory the other is you know it's a, the opposition to the united states which there's certainly plenty of detractors right we have we have allies who would turn on us i think pretty fast if they had to and and the question is are they trying to dethrone the dominance of the united states i presume you've seen that world economic forum advertisement the oh, night- of course yeah. And they talk about how the U.S. is not going to be the superpower and you're not going to own anything. You're going to rent everything. And but you're going to be happy. <laughs> but you're going to be happy. And I go rent from whom? Right. Yeah. From, from, Klaus. <laughs> from Klaus. From Klaus. Yeah. I'm reading the first of three books. I'm in the middle of his first of three books. I, I, I just finished his uh, Industrial Revolution book. Um, you know, of course, yeah, I'm going to read 2015 book. Yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah. Thinking. Yeah. That's older. I know. I know. And but it, it, it seems like it's, it's a lot of words, but he doesn't really say anything that's very right. significant. That's right. You fact, know? The whole yeah. great reset sounds like platitudes. Duckfield yeah. platitudes, I call them. And uh, so the question is, what is it? Could be dethroning the dollar. Could be, I've become increasingly aware of the possibility that much of what we're observing is coming from China, even though we're not seeing the connection. It's not easy. You have to, for example, if you want to see who's probably not guilty, Look at whoever's being blamed. They're probably, the Russians are getting clobbered. I think Putin is simply trying to hold together a third world country from falling into its foundations. And there's no doubt he's a rough guy, but I don't think Putin gives a damn about our elections. I think he's just trying to keep Russia from imploding. China, on the other hand, there's some very strange videos coming out of China by Xi Jinping's right hand man talking about how they control the US's politics completely. And how Trump disrupted that. Now, now they're okay again. And you're going, why? Why would he say that in a public forum, right? And the answer, if you get the answer to that, you'll understand what the point is. So I think, uh, I think over time we're going to trace a lot more back to mainland China than we realize. I think that's going to be true. Very interesting. Um, David, I I could talk to you for a long, long time about all this stuff, but um, do give out uh, any resource or website you want to share and wrap it up for us with any just any closing thoughts on any part of your year in review. Um, 
Well, you can you can reach me on Twitter for the, for the time being. If they, yeah, and, and uh, as long as you're still there, yes. Yeah, at David B. Column. My email is easily accessed from my Twitter bio, or anyone who wants to search David Column Cornell Chemistry, uh, it'll be there. Um, I'm not hard got hard guy to find. Overarching view: I worry about social change. I think we're in the middle of something so bleak. And we're either going to pull out of it or we're going to push through it. And pushing through it is going to be painful. You know, I, I hate to bring you on another tangent because I know we got to wrap up. But just on that, you know, if anybody was sitting in the 60s and they were sort of an, an, an older person or an establishment person, if you will, and they were watching Woodstock, they were watching Vietnam War protests, uh, they were watching all the crazy stuff that went on in the 60s and, and the early 70s, you know, they would have thought maybe they could have thought, OK, I don't know what they thought, but, you know, maybe they could have thought, oh, my God. The country's ripping apart. This is a disaster. We'll never recover from this. Are we thinking that now? Do these young people that are just way off on the wrong track, that are destroying these cities, that are just brainwashed by these educational institutions, do they grow out of it like the baby boomers did? Or is this different? Well, uh, if there is a difference, I think back then, and I was a kid, so I wouldn't have known, but I suspect back then that at no point did, did the adults question the sort of the, the integrity of the system, meaning they didn't think that the system itself was going to collapse. So we're, they're watching the kids saying those worthless pot smoking, you know, uh, hippies, uh, yeah. hippies are a problem. The world's going to fall apart when they become in charge. The problem now is these crazy, crazy ideas are absolutely already infiltrating the adult world. And so uh, various institutions are bringing in various cockeyed theories about how to engineer social change inside the companies. It, it's not just crazy campus behavior now. It is it has invaded the corporate boardroom. Yeah. It, it really has. You saw that with, um, you know, what happened after George Floyd and all this crazy craziness. Yeah, it's it is. It, so it's it's not just the kids. Yeah, it's not just a it is also not just a weak subgroup of society in which in which which the people who are in power, there's no doubt they're going to retain their power. Uh, for me. It's not that I think everything we have now should be retained, right? I think change is important, but but it, it feels like it could rip apart at the seams at, at the most fundamental upper levels, right? We've got, if you look who's in Congress, I, there's some scary people there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, it's it's like different. we it's like we have a whole new version of McCarthyism yeah. with this censorship and the you know putting putting Trump supporters on lists and uh, it's it's just scary stuff. But Jonathan Turley is the guy you ought to be reading. If, if do, you, do, you, do you mean Steve Turley? No, Jonathan, the uh, okay. George Washington University uh, constitutional scholar, who God. I think is at the level of potential Supreme Court nominee, although unless the Republicans get reelected, he won't get it. Um, and he said, he said, he's this is the most dangerous assault on free speech in history. Yeah, right now. I would agree with that. And a lot of people should be very, very concerned, including those who are benefiting from it. Because guess what? You're next. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what they better know. Good point. Yeah. Nemo or moment. 
Yeah. D- David, thank you so much. You've got such great insights. We always appreciate having you on and um, keep the faith and keep in touch. Okay. I'll try. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.